What's up, listener? It's me, Mike. How you doing? <laughs> you know, I was spinning today and I saw a bunch of new alerts. I have Google alerts for different events so I can watch out for them, you know, for myself and also for my clients who are out there speaking and talking in the world. And I get announcements and there's so many new events from new opportunities to be on a TEDx stage to opportunities at colleges and campuses around the country to new corporate events that are coming up, to new industry events that are popping up, to statewide associations, to people's own private events where they invite other speakers to. It seems that today there are plenty of stages to be on if you know how to position yourself and you know how to do it. But that also means that there are a lot of speakers. I mean, I don't know if you've gone to LinkedIn and looked at, typed in speaker and seen all of the people that pop up. There's a lot of them out there. I mean, it's easy. You've been on one or two stages. You can call yourself a speaker. Why not? And the opportunity is huge, but so is the competition. And then when you finally get on stage, the audience is waiting to be refreshed for something new. That's really what they want is show them something new. That's what we're talking about on this episode. How can you surprise and delight your audiences? So that when you take the stage, there's something refreshing and new. There's something exciting for them to listen to. We're going to talk about ways to surprise your audience. I've got a surprising wine pairing on this episode of Wine and Wisdom Wednesdays here at the Mic Drop Moment. We're going to get into it all, and and I'll share a bunch of ideas. We're going to talk about Alanis Morissette, Star Wars, Celine Dion, Kelly Clarkson, and wine from a surprising place in the country. All that and more on this episode of the Mic Drop Moment. So you have a story to tell and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Benino. Welcome to episode eight of the Mic Drop Moment. Today we're talking about the power of surprising your audience, which I think is something we've got to do because there are so many speakers and so many stages that we get used to it. And so whether you're doing this on stage or even on a webinar or a podcast, you've got to surprise your audience. You've got to give them a gift sometimes. And that's what we're going to be talking about. There's two big spoiler alerts here for you. If you have not yet seen the Broadway musical Jagged Little Pill uh, from Alanis Morissette, if you plan to see it, if you don't plan to see it, you're fine. But if you plan to see it, you may want to take a break. You may want to go see it and come back to this in a couple hours. Also, if you have not seen Star Wars Rise of Skywalker yet, I'm going to give a huge spoiler alert for the ending. So do not listen if you have plans of doing that. In fact, hit pause, go see the movie and come back in two and a half hours and we'll keep talking about it. So two big spoiler alerts. I don't want you to be mad. I don't want the tweets. I don't want the Instagram DMs if you're mad because I spoiled Jagged Little Pill or Rise of Skywalker, the new Star Wars movie for you. We're also going to talk about Celine Dion. No surprises there. No spoiler alert. And Kelly Clarkson, too, and how you can learn from them for your own speeches. So let's 
talk about this. A few weeks ago, in December of 2019, I saw Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill on Broadway. Now, it's not a jukebox musical, so it's not just the story of Alanis Morissette. It's not the story of the album. It's the songs from Jagged Little Pill and a couple of other Alanis albums that they peppered in, and I think a couple new songs. It's the music from that applied to a modern story. So they actually wrote a story of a family and then they use the songs to tell the story. So it's kind of a cool and surprising thing. Now, when I went in December, there was a huge holiday audience. And, you know, I think a lot of people in the audience were probably Alanis Morissette fans. They were there because they knew the songs. They loved the songs. I mean, based on the reaction from the audience, it felt like a lot of Alanis fans. And what was kind of cool about that is I think Jagged Little Pill, now it's been 25 years or something and sold 33 million records. It has a pretty broad audience. There were some definite like 20 year olds in the audience and some like 60 year olds in the audience and a bunch of 40 year olds like me who were kind of teenagers at the time that Jagged Little Pill came up and used the album to define that entire decade for them. There was a huge range of people, but I think for the most part, if you were in the audience, especially during that opening month run of Jagged Little Pill, you're probably a fan of Alanis Morissette. And when it comes to a show like that, the audience wants to be surprised and in a way, not surprised by something necessarily new about it, although the show was new because it wasn't just showing Alanis's songs getting made. It was a whole new story about this family using the songs. The audience wanted to be surprised by little parts in there. For example, here's a spoiler alert. For example, the song Ironic, one of Alanis Morissette's biggest hits, the song Ironic that actually wasn't ironic, right? Alanis spent years getting flack for the fact that all of the things she talked about in the song Ironic were actually not ironic. Like, a fly in your Chardonnay is a bad situation, but it's not ironic. Or winning the lottery and dying the next day, again, bad luck, not ironic. So this malappropriatism that she spent her entire life kind of being made fun of was one of the things that fans, you know, typically are on her side for because everyone likes to make fun of it. She even talks about it being one of her big regrets is not having thought that more people would listen to the song ironic and being more thoughtful about what she did. So in the play, again, Assume that the audience is full of Alanis Morissette fans. And so in the play, they get to the part where they're going to pl- they're going to use the song Ironic. And there's a teenage girl in the play. And the assignment in class one day was to write some poetry. And so she stands up and she's in a classroom. There's a bunch of students in desks and she stands up to recite her poem. Well, her poem is actually ironic and she kind of sings the lyrics. As she says the first couple of lines, some of the students in the audience kind of grumble and the teacher takes a break and says, wait, student, what are you feeling? How did you feel about that? And he's like, well, yeah, that actually isn't ironic at all. And it was a really funny moment for the audience. It was one of those kind of like wink, wink moments for the audience where they were in on the joke because for so long, if you're an Alanis Morissette fan, you've known that she's regretted that and been made fun of by so many people saying the song isn't actually ironic. And so this whole bit where they use the song or at least a couple minutes of it is really kind of a fun little nod to her fans, her fans who would have been following along. Now, if you weren't a huge Alanis Morissette fan and you were watching this part about ironic, then it would just be a cool thing and it would make sense. And you'd probably agree like, oh, yeah, that's not really ironic that you were scared to fly. And then the plane went down on the very first time you ever flow. 
then yeah, that's not ironic. That's just bad luck. You would get that in that moment. But if you're a fan, it was one of those moments that really, really felt special. It was a little gift. It was a little surprise. And it's something I think we as professional communicators, we as public speakers and storytellers, we need to do that as well. We need to think about those moments where we can surprise our audience. Maybe it's bringing in an interesting thing that recently just happened in the industry. This is one of the opportunities for speakers in corporate audiences or to industry audiences to kind of include something that maybe just happened recently in their field, maybe something that happened for their company. Maybe there's a really cool story or speaking for Coca-Cola or something like that, and you found a really fun, positive story on Twitter, and you include it. It feels like a fun surprise to the audience. It's a way for you to kind of say, hey, I see you, I get you. There came another one in Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill as well. At the end, when the family's kind of reconciled in a way, the the mom is doing like a little, hey, here's how our year went. You know those holiday things people write there, like uh, Christmas cards, and they say, here's how our year went, everybody. She was doing that, and everyone's on stage with her, and she's kind of writing it and speaking it out loud, as you have to on stage, because we can't read what's on the screen. And she gets into the part about the dad, and she says, oh, and the dad has taken up guitar lessons, which is really exciting. And he plays like the the riff of like All I Really Want or something from Alanis Morissette, one of her classic songs that everyone knew the like sound of. And she said, except he really only knows how to play this one Alanis Morissette song. It was super fun. And it came right at the end. It was kind of a little wink and a little nod to the audience, a little wink and a little nod to Alanis Morissette fans. But again, it was a way for them to surprise the audience not by some new revelationary thing that that no one had ever seen before, but by kind of saying like, hey, we're in this together. It was a way of breaking the fourth wall without breaking the fourth wall. So that's one thing. So what can you do? What can you do in your speeches? What can you do in your storytelling or in your videos and your webinars that kind of shows the audience like, hey, I see you. We're in this together. I think that's a fun opportunity to look for. Now, another one came from Celine Dion. I went and saw Celine Dion in Vegas when she was doing her big like Coliseum event. She's on tour now, actually doing like a world tour. But when she was in Vegas, I went and saw the big show at Caesars Palace. And one of the things I had seen from a lot of videos is obviously the show is very choreographed. I mean, they're it's a billion dollar show. It has to be choreographed. There's water and lifts and lights and all kinds of things happening. And Celine needs to be in the right place at the right time. And they've got to know exactly how long it's going to take every night. Like it's a production and they need to hit those things. It's got to be rehearsed and choreographed down to a minute. But there's this one really cool thing she does. At the start of the show each night, she does this one little part. And, and I'm sure it's in the script of the show, in the show run. There's five minutes or four minutes built in for Celine's nightly banter with the audience. And it's different every night because it actually involves someone in the audience that night. For example, the night I was there, it was somebody who had brought her a gift from Montreal, some kind of special marshmallow or cookie or something. I don't know. If you're listening to this and you're from Montreal, you're going to be like, oh, it's this. So send me a message. Go to MikeAndNeed.com or onto the social media and send me a message and let me know what that Montreal treat was that she got. I think it was a marshmallow. I don't know why that's familiar, but anyway, they brought some kind of treat. And then she had this whole moment where she brought the person on stage and they ate the the treats together and they talked about living in, in Quebec. And so it was really cool. And then in another show, it was another kind of thing. And in another show, it was another thing. But it was Celine Dion's way of saying like, hey, this is about you. This is for us tonight. Um, this is what we're, we're doing here. And 
it couldn't have been any other night because it was with that audience. Now, the rest of the show, the two hours or so that the, the, the concert ran, it was super choreographed. It was very fine-tuned to every moment, which is great when you're doing something that big. But it's really fun to also include something that's just for that audience. So again, in your work, where can you do that? Is there an opportunity where you can kind of build in a part for improv? You can build in a three to four to five minute section where you're improvising with the people in the audience. Maybe it's like Laura Gassner Otting, who is on episode number one of the Mic Drop Moment. She actually brings people on stage with her and coaches them in front of everybody. And she has no idea what they're going to say. She has no idea what they're going to ask about. But she has it saved in her otherwise pretty choreographed and, and written script. I've actually worked with her on it that there's a part where she brings people up and they just deal with it together. What's really interesting about that is for the person who gets to go on stage and interact with Laura, it feels really unique and special. And it also feels that way for the audience that watches because they get to have this experience and it feels real for them as well. And so through their colleague or their peer in the audience, they're also learning and having this of the moment experience. It's part of why I think people love improvisation. We love to go to see an improv show because maybe it's going to be horrible. I mean, I would say that half of the improv shows I've seen are pretty bad and half of them are pretty good. It's because it's being made in the moment and it's kind of like this high wire act that's going on and the audience loves that. It feels like their actual stakes. If something is so polished and so perfected, it removes the stakes a little bit because they know there's no chance anything's going to go wrong. It's kind of fun when someone brings somebody up on stage and coaches them live. I've seen Mel Robbins do this. I've seen Neen James, who's going to be a future guest on the show, do this. And again, like I said, Laura Gassner-Odding does this. It provides this opportunity of, well, what's going to happen here? It's the same way that when an audience in an improv show is asked for a suggestion, they feel super excited and they're like, ooh, I wonder what they're going to do with my suggestion of tortillas. You don't know, and neither do the actors, and it's created in front of you. That's another way that you can surprise and delight, just like Celine Dion or Laura Gaster Otting. They're actually very similar to me in my mind. I love them both equally. <laughs> now, another person who is uh, offers a lot of surprise was Kelly Clarkson. She has her brand new talk show, The Kelly Clarkson Show, and on her new talk show, every single day, she opens with a Kellyoke. It's a song. It's Kelly Clarkson singing a cover of someone else's music. It's really special, right? Because as a daytime talk show host, it's the one thing she could do different than everyone else. She's one of the best singers in the world. And so what she can do different than Ellen, different than Wendy Williams, different than I don't even know anyone else who has a daytime talk show, but you know who they are. Different than all of them is she's probably the only Grammy Award winning American Idol winning person who has a talk show. So she can sing. And so she does that. And a fun way for her to do that, because, you know, she'd eventually run out of her own songs, is to do covers. Now, one of the things I know, because a friend of mine got to go see the Kelly Clarkson show. That's one of the joys of living in L.A. is you get to see live shows. One of the things that uh, happens is when you submit to be in the audience, you get to suggest a song for Kelly to sing. And she chooses a song from someone in the audience that day. And that's the song that she does is whatever song somebody from the audience picked that day, she does that song. And so that's kind of a fun way. And now she's created this whole video uh, YouTube channel of all the Kellyoke things because it was her way of giving her audience a little gift and a little surprise. You never know what song she's going to sing. So for you, 
even in your scripted, designed, built, like managed down to the final seconds, how can you throw in something special? How can you throw in something that feels of the moment? That's the kind of surprises we're talking about. I have a couple more surprises coming your way, and the big Star Wars spoiler is coming up. So if you have not seen Star Wars Rise of Skywalker and you want to see it, then pause this episode, go watch it, come back in two and a half hours, because I'm about to spoil it for you if you've not seen it. This is a spoiler that's on the internet, too, so like... You could run into it, but just go see the sh- go see the movie if you want to. That's my advice. And also the wine. I want to talk about this wine because it is also probably going to be surprising to you. Turn up the volume. Use your story. Wake up the world. This is the mic drop moment. One of the things I believe is that in our marketing, in our offerings, in our content, we should be unapologetically ourselves. And so my way of doing that in this little podcast about storytelling and business and public speaking is to include wine. I'm a former sommelier and wine buyer for a big restaurant group. I love wine. I talk about wine. I pop out and do impromptu wine tastings for my friends. So on the Wednesday solo episodes of this show, I talk about wine. And this week's wine is probably a surprise. We're talking about surprising your audiences and giving them little gifts. And I think this one is a surprise. Now, there's two things here. The state that this wine is from is a state you probably haven't had wine from before. It's not a state you think of typically. And so in that way, it's a surprise. But there's also a city in this state called Surprise. Now, there's not a lot of wine made there, but... I think it's a close enough link. I couldn't find any good wine from Surprise Winery, so we're going to go with this one. Now, the state that I'm talking about is Arizona, and there's actually a city called Surprise, Arizona. I don't think they make wine there, but anyway, it doesn't matter. So Surprise, Arizona is a city, and Arizona's a pretty surprising place to find wine. We think of Arizona, we typically think of the sun-drenched areas like Phoenix and Tucson, or really the cold, snowy areas like Flagstaff or near the Grand Canyon. But there's actually a couple of really cool microclimates in Arizona where they can grow some interesting grapes. They have like a wide range of grapes as well. The wine that I'm having today comes from Chateau Tumbleweed, which is kind of like the most perfect, hilarious name for a wine. This episode, I'm talking about surprising your audience and giving them a little wink and a little nod. And I think Chateau Tumbleweed for a wine from Arizona, that's pretty fun, right? I mean, this is what we're talking about, having a little personality in your presentation. And Chateau Tumbleweed gets that right. Uh, it's not going to be easy to find unless you go direct. So if you want to get a bottle of this, you can go to ChateauTumbleweed.com to try it out. Also, I'm, these are not sponsored. This is just wine I'm having and liking and sharing with you. So no one's giving me any of this wine for free, and I don't get any points if you order. So go check it out if you'd like. ChateauTumbleweed.com. So, okay, so this comes from an area called Yavapai County, which is up Outside of Sedona. So it's a little bit outside of Sedona, Arizona. If you've been to Sedona, then Yavapai County is uh, is right there. The wine region is just about an hour away or so. And the wine I'm having today from Chateau Tumbleweed is their 2017 Vermentino. Now, Vermentino is a really interesting grape. It's one that you would typically find in Italy. And so to find it in Arizona is pretty fun. For me, 
it's one of those white wines that always makes me think of a very specific place. You know how when you have like a pina colada, it takes you back to that cruise you took in college, or maybe you're having a, uh, a I don't know, a Mai Tai. Mai Tai always makes me think of going to Wrigley Field for some reason. You probably have those drinks where it takes you back to a very specific place. And maybe it's the only place you want to drink it, like the Mai Tais at Wrigley and the pina coladas on a cruise ship. I don't really order those any other time, but at the place, they feel so contextually right. And the same thing for me happens with Vermentino. I think of being next to some like salty little ocean, having some crispy fried calamari or like a light fish with a lemon sauce or something. It takes me to that place every time. And so having Vermentino from Arizona, which is not really near the ocean anymore. I mean, it was at one point and probably will be again at some point. Who knows? But that's um, Vermentino for me. This Vermentino from Chateau Tumbleweed, of course, is uh, aged in stainless steel. They're not going to add any oak to this. It's playful. It's fun. It's light. On the nose for me, this is getting crisp. It's got a little bit of like white flower or like kind of honeysuckle, like a little bit of like perfumey, but sweet perfumey, not like heavy perfumey, like light and sweet, like small little baby white flowers and, and honeysuckle. It's also got like a lot of, um, I'm getting like a lot of like lemon lime kind of notes from it. And so that's Vermentino for me in general. This is a light-bodied white with high acidity. So light-bodied whites with high acidity are really, really great for things where you would squeeze a lime on. I mean, that's kind of the thing to think about. Like, what would you squeeze a lime on? And that's what this is going to go perfect with. So for me, I would be pairing this with some crispy calamari that you've just uh, you've just fried up and maybe you put a little, a few little like uh, Sicilian peppers on or something. This is also going to be great with like a white fish, like a light white fish. Uh, it'll go awesome with that. This is the kind of thing I would put with it. Seafood, light seafoods, that kind of thing would be really great with this. Maybe like a salad that has like a light uh, vinaigrette. This is going to be perfect for that. This is also really just perfect to like sit outside and sip. Anyway, so Vermentino from Chateau Tumbleweed uh, from uh, the Dos Padres Vineyard outside of Sedona in uh, in Arizona. Check them out at Chateau Tumbleweed. And uh, next time you go to the store, even like at Trader Joe's, look for Vermentino. Try a Vermentino out. Send me a note over at the website, MikeAndNino.com, and let me know what you think of Vermentino. It's uh, it's something I think that you're probably going to love. If you love like Pinot Grigio, then Vermentino is like a little step up. You'll feel fancy ordering it, and it's going to serve all your, all your seafood eating needs. It's time to be unapologetically you. Find your mic drop moment. All right, so back to talking about how you can surprise your audiences, give them a little gift, uh, stand out from everybody else by doing something different and unique and of the moment and only you can do. I talked about Kelly Clarkson and her ability to stand out by doing her Kellyoki, which she's the only daytime talk show who has the voice like Kelly Clarkson does, so works out perfect. Or Celine Dion having an improvisational moment with her audience in all of her shows. Or even the Alanis Morissette jagged little pill idea of actually embedding little gifts to your audience, little kind of like inside jokes for them in a way. Those are all things you can do. And I've got one coming up from Star Wars, which I'll share in a little bit. Don't worry. I'll give you the spoiler warning before I do that. But a couple of the things that I do when I'm speaking or the things that I'll do with clients when I'm helping them work on a story or a speech that they're going to put on stage is, one, I don't introduce myself at the beginning of my speech. You've seen it. Someone steps into give a keynote or a breakout or even a sales pitch, and the first five minutes is them kind of doing an advanced bio of kind of like proving to you why they deserve the right to speak to you or why you should listen to them. But 
what if you were just good? What if from the beginning you just started off with a story that clearly highlights the fact that you and the audience are on the same page, that you've been where they are, that you see what's ahead? That's a much more effective way to get them on your side than to try to earn that by talking about your books, your website, your clients, what you've done. None of those things really matter until I get that we're on the same page. So I don't introduce myself at the top of my speeches. I open up with a story that starts to really shine a light on why we should be talking about this thing in the first place. And then I earn my credibility by being good by being on stage, by connecting with them. So don't introduce yourself at the top of your speech. That's one way you could surprise people because that's different than a lot of the other folks out there. Now, another one is to really think about your stories. What kinds of stories can you use? Can you use stories that highlight what they're experiencing, what they might be experiencing, what they want to experience? Can you use things that are specific and interesting that really help them out? Or maybe it's that you use stories that are new and different. I mean, it's often that we hear people using stories of companies like Zappos or Apple or Disney or Southwest Airlines. But what about bringing and highlighting a story in a really interesting way that's about somebody else? What about starting a story and not finishing it so that the surprise ending comes later and keeps them engaged? That's another way you could do it. Now, another thing I've seen people do really effectively is when they use data is to visualize it. So often when we present data, we just show the graph and we don't actually visualize it. One of the things that we've done when we've worked with TEDx speakers, I'm the executive producer for TEDx Cambridge. And one of the things we've done is to think through how can you visualize what you're saying with something that is interesting or different or a new way to look at it. For example, if you were saying that there were 120 thousand pieces of information you can simply write 120k you could show that in a graph or you could show a visualization of the AT&T stadium in Dallas Texas full of people which is about 120,000 people you could show a region of a city you could show something like that we were working with somebody who was talking about uh, 5 million children and that's basically all of the school-aged children in most of uh, New England. So we were able to highlight that on a map and visualize it. There's all these ways you could surprise your audience with how you present information. You don't have to just show the number on screen. Show them something that helps them connect with it, make sense of it. That's another way you can kind of surprise your audience. Uh, what about choosing better images? <laughs> I mean, we don't need to see these same stock images. What if you showed pictures that you actually took? What if you showed pictures that were interesting and different and not just something you pulled from stock image website of a bunch of happy employees standing around laughing together? Use images that are interesting and surprising and new to highlight what you're showing. One of the other surprising things that people forget is that when we show up, when we travel across the country or even just across the street to be with you in person versus reading your book or reading a blog or listening to your website or hearing your podcast or whatever the case is, when we show up to see you in person, you have to show up. We want your presence there. We want it to be energetic, amazing presence. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be someone who you're not. If you're not somebody who's, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty high level energy, you don't have to do that. But you need to be there. 
One of the surprising things I think all the time that happens is people are very stingy with their eye contact with audiences. They cheat out of looking and really connecting with anyone. Sure, they think that by kind of looking around the room and sprinkling eye contact on everybody that they're doing eye contact. But there's something much different between kind of looking around the room and checking in to make sure everybody has eyes versus actually looking at someone while you say an entire line, really checking in for their understanding. It's one of the little tricks I use all of the time with clients that really changes the game for them. Stand on stage and really look at someone as you deliver a whole idea, as you deliver a whole line. No one else in the audience is going to feel cheated. They're actually going to feel connected to you too, which is kind of the weird magic of eye contact. We all get to benefit when somebody gets some good eye contact. So instead of kind of sprinkling around your eyes and being a bobblehead of eye contact, frenetically looking around the room all the time at people, really land with someone and talk to them for just a minute and then pick someone else across the room and talk to them. Your eye contact is one of the ways you could surprise people because it shows that you're really in the room with them. It gives them some moment, a little intimate touch that feels really real to all of us. And the last thing is that we need to get over being anyone else on stage. Authenticity is one of these things that gets thrown around so much and everyone's telling you to be authentic, be authentic. But what does that mean? Well, in my book, it means getting over being anybody else on stage. We read books like Talk Like Ted or Present Like Steve Jobs or whatever the case is. And we think that there's some kind of way we need to be, whether it's we want to be as bombastic and, and bold as Gary Vaynerchuk or we want to be as witty and precise as Mel Robbins or we want to be as elegant and soft and gentle as Brene Brown. That works for them because they're Gary Vaynerchuk, Brene Brown and Mel Robbins. What we need to be is the biggest, best version of ourselves. People will come to me all the time and say, oh, Mike, I want to learn presentation and public speaking skills from you. I want to be just like you. And I say, no, you don't. And they always kind of look at me surprised, like, oh, my gosh, well, what does that mean? It means that the reason it works for me is because it's the most authentic, real version of me up there. I've given up the idea of being anyone else on stage. I'm just showing up as me. I'm dropping it all. I'm breaking the fourth wall with the audience. The fourth wall in theater terms is that imaginary wall between you and an audience. It's the, you know, between you and the stage. It's that edge of the stage wall that we put up to perform. And even when we're up there as public speakers, we add one, even though there doesn't need to be one. It should just be a conversation with that audience. We put up the pretense and we pretend to be someone we don't need to be in order to try to show up as someone else, like Steve Jobs or Brene Brown or Simon Sinek or whoever, Marie Forleo, whoever it is. The reason it works for those people is that they're just being themselves. They're just showing up as themselves. And that is why it works. They're all different. If you think about your favorite top 10 public speakers, presenters, or celebrities, they're probably all different. And they're probably all different in different ways. What works about it is that they're them. They're unapologetically, undeniably them, and they are not trying to be anybody else. That's what we're all trying to find. And you can't do that. You can't surprise and delay your audience if you're trying to be anybody but you. So here's my final little note, and this is the big spoiler alert I was warning you about. 
This is about Star Wars Rise of Skywalker that came out in December of 2019. So if you haven't seen it yet and it's something you would want to see, then hit pause, go see it, come back in two and a half hours. So here's the deal. This is the spoiler. The entire entire series includes this story about Skywalkers, right? About about. Luke Skywalker and there's Princess Leia and there's this relationship between them as siblings and in the final scene after everything's happened and the the heroine Rey has the two lightsabers she has Princess Leia's lightsaber and she has Luke Skywalker's lightsaber after everything's been done the movie ends all the things are happening the last scene shows her going back to the place where Luke was from the place where he was called into the original action to go out and and find Princess Leia from when R2-D2 showed that message that was a secret message from her. That's where she goes back to Rey in the last scene. And she takes the two lightsabers. She takes Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker's lightsabers, and she wraps them in a blanket together, and then she buries them. And there's something about that that maybe it's Disney and the the J.J. Abrams, the producer, the director of it. Maybe it's them kind of giving the audience what they wanted. Maybe it was, you know, there's a lot of critiques online about it not being great storytelling, that element. And it was about just giving the fans what they wanted. But sometimes that's our job. Sometimes our job is to give the fans something they want. Yeah, you need to tell them what they need to hear as well as a public speaker, but it's also about giving them a gift. It's about giving them a surprise. It's about giving them the happy ending. And our job as communicators sometimes is to give our audiences the happy ending. Just like they did in Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. I know I was a little teary-eyed when I went and saw it, and I saw lots of friends were as well. And so our job is to surprise and delight our audiences. And I've given you a bunch of ideas about it, and I'm curious how you'll do it. I'd love for you to hit me up at MikeAndino.com or on the socials and let me know what are some of the things you're doing. If you see someone out there who's doing something really cool, tag me in it. I'd love to watch what they're up to and, and see what people are doing because when we surprise and delight our audiences, we really separate ourselves as great communicators great storytellers and great public speakers and that is what it's all about this episode has ended but your journey doesn't have to head on over to www.mikeganino.com access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today and keep on crafting your own story. That's www.mikeganino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 